Well, church, if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Peter chapter 5 for a message entitled, How to Pray for Pastors. So as we continue through 1 Peter, that is where we are. So, um, Isabel, will you throw up our local pastors in the area? So I just want to highlight... Obviously, you can pray for more pastors than I'm putting up there, but this, these are the pastors that are close to us. So, Cole Spring, that's Pastor Mark Donnell, Cordicella, Dr. Greg Morrow, Enan, Reverend Frank Whitney, Friendship, Reverend Bill Romans, and Mount Olive, Reverend Paul Young. And so, if you're a, a, a person that writes things down and then... Um, You'll uh, go over your list later. I would encourage you maybe to take a picture of that because these are the pastors as well as myself. I cover your prayers that I would encourage you to pray for. So today's message that we're going to go through, we're going to find out what the Bible says a pastor is supposed to do. And then you as the congregation will not only pray for me, but pray for these local pastors because we definitely covet your prayers. But let's first Go to the author of the book. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that we get to sing songs to you about your glory, what it's going to be like to be with you. But Father, until that day comes, we just ask that you would help us to love you more than anything. Help us to love each other. Or let us be an accurate representation of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand your word. Let us leave here changed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to see what pastors are supposed to do. And then I'm going to do something a little bit different. So I know that when we do things in order, our God is a God of order. And so order is good. And so you see every Sunday we kind of do the same exact thing, which some people can look down on. But if you think about it, our God is a God of order. He set things up. But also... He brings seasons, which represent change. And so every time there's a season where we have a little bit of a change, and, and I think that is very good and healthy for us. And so it's going to be a little bit different. What we're going to do is we're going to find out exactly what God is calling the pastor to do. And then I'm going to ask someone in the congregation to stand and pray for me and these pastors. Uh, keep that up there if you can. So... If you're like nervous, I won't call on you. Well, I might call on a few of you if I know that it's safe, you know, to call on. But uh, if you're willing to pray, when I say we would, we'd like someone to pray for this, it's a little bit of a disruption. It's a little bit of disruption. Just like when I walk out here, it's a little bit of disruption. When I high five someone and that was a little bit of a disruption. But I want us to understand that if we do things same Week after week after week, what might happen is that it becomes a production. And we don't want church to be a production. We don't want it to be like someone's on the stage and it's something that's well produced. We want it to be the gathering of the saints. They come together. We sing praises to God. We pray. We teach our kids. And then we look at God's word. Okay? But it's a little bit of a change today. So if you're willing to stand and pray when I ask 
That would be fantastic. Now, a couple of different words that we're going to go over. Pastor, overseer, shepherd, they all refer to the same office. I want to highlight the word shepherd because so much we see that God, Jesus, is our ultimate shepherd. But pastors are called to be under shepherds. You are not my flock. You are his flock. You, are, you belong to God. He has purchased you. He takes care of you. He loves you. And what he does is that he will pick someone out. And what we are finding from the study on Sunday night, extremely ordinary person. And then he'll put that person there and he'll say, I want you to shepherd my flock in this area. And all of these pastors have been selected and they are shepherding God's flock. I have been selected to shepherd this flock at Russell Baptist Church. Now, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd feeds, waters, and cares for the sheep. So I have to remember that I'm taking care of someone else's sheep. And so I have to be really careful that I make sure that I take care of the sheep in a way that pleases the ultimate shepherd. So here's what's going to happen is that I'm going to explain all these different um, expectations of overseer, pastor, shepherd, and then what you're going to say is, wait a minute, if that's what God calls Rusty and these other pastors to do and to be and to act, then I certainly want to pray that God will help him to shepherd well. Can I get an amen? That means let it be so. Yeah, we agree. We want that. We want that. Okay, so one of the ways that we're going to find out how you should pray for pastors is is that we got to pray, we got to see what the qualifications of a pastor are. Now, first, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 13. So if if you're able to switch over there, if not, I could read it to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us something. Verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. So the leader that he's referring to is the one that speaks the word of God. What I'm doing right now and what those men do. Remember, remember, remember your leaders. And it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. So you're supposed to consider the outcome of the way of life that I lead and also imitate my faith. Now, that's a lot of pressure on me because what if my faith is not very good? Now, God has said, okay, look at the leader that teaches you the word of God and imitate their faith. So now I'm thinking, oh man, Lord, please give me a faith that's worth imitating. There's a lot of pressure Go down to verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. So if you look at that, the Bible says that you're to obey the leader of the church. God has put pastors, overseers, shepherd in a church. Now let's say this. If you say, Rusty, I'm sorry, but I just can't obey you. 
My hope is that there would be a good reason because all I'm called to do is take God's word and share it with you, accurately teach it to you. And so ultimately, yes, you're obeying what I'm preaching, but ultimately you're obeying the true shepherd. So understand that. If I say we shouldn't steal and I prove it to you with scripture, you say, okay, I'm going to obey what Rusty said. But ultimately, if you think about it, you're obeying your ultimate shepherd, the one who died for you. Okay? So I know sometimes in America we can think, wait a minute, I don't like the way that's, that's laid out. But look at the pressure on me. It says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Those who will give an account. So think about this. When I go and I'm standing before the Lord and he says, I'm going to take an account of how you loved, served, watered, cared for my sheep. There's a lot of pressure on me to make sure that you are pleasing to the Lord. So if I come to you and I say, hey, you know what? I heard this is going on. It's not because I don't like you. It's because I know that God loves you and God has told me, hey, you got to watch over them as a good shepherd and I'm holding you accountable, Rusty. I'm holding you accountable. So these people that want these, these pastors want these huge mega churches, man, that is a lot of people to be accountable for. That's a lot of people. And so the more you understand as a pastor that you're accountable for the people in the congregation, the more you're like, Lord, Hey, just bring enough that pleases you. Because if you just pray for more and more and more, man, it's hard to shepherd, uh, uh, you know, 4,000 people. That's hard. And that's a lot of pressure. But man, the people that God has brought to Russellville Baptist Church, I just love being able to feed and shepherd you. And here's how I do it. If you say, man, what is it that a pastor does? You know, how does it work? Well, here's how it works is that, the, that you guys give tithes and offerings to the church and the, that money is distributed amounts different things, different ministries. And it also allows me to devote my life to prayer and the preaching of God's word. And so when I think, okay, this is what's going on and I'm praying for you, you guys are letting me do that by giving your tithes and your offerings and then being able to study God's word in the way that I feed as I come, I share God's word with you consistently and hopefully that it's nutritious and it's green pastures. That's how this is working. So you think, okay, Rusty, what's your main focus? My main focus as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, the main thing I should be doing is praying and preaching. What that means is, Spending time with God, finding out what in the world is going on, studying his word, and then proclaiming it to you over and over and over consistently. Now, there's other things that I get to do that I love doing. But if I neglect those things, then I know I'm going to get taken to the woodshed by the ultimate shepherd. And I have been in the woodshed. I felt called to be a pastor when I was around 21 years old. But it wasn't until 35 that the Lord let me finally pastor kids. And so for four and a half years, I was a kids pastor at a mega church. And it was awesome because I learned how to feed sheep. But man, you know what? Third graders are very gracious and merciful. It's, I tell you what, I would tell any aspiring pastor, go be a kids pastor. 
Go be a kid's pastor. You'll learn to preach. And you know what? Some of you think that your kids are distractions. They're not distractions. I don't even know what's going on. Because when you got a room full of second and third graders, there's nothing that you guys can do that it will top that. But I remember sitting with my mom at uh, lunch and I was sharing with her and I said, Mom, you know what? I, I, was, I was 21 years old. I think I am called to be a pastor. And she started to cry because she really felt that when I was young, the Lord showed her that that was the calling on my life. But she never wanted to say it. She shared it with my dad and my dad said, don't say anything because we don't want to influence him. And so when the Lord made that come true, she was just overjoyed. And so now here I am. I love what I get to do. I don't know. I, I, I could not do anything else. Like, this is it. And so know this. I love getting to share this word with you and to be with you guys consistently. I love it, love it, love it. And so thank you for affording me that opportunity. Now, this isn't saying like, but I'm leaving. I'm just saying thank you. Like, there wasn't like a continue on that started to sound weird. So I love it. I love it, love it, love it. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Because one of the things that you do is you start out in a book, and as if you go through the book, you hit so many different things. And now the book leads us to pastors, elders, shepherds. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, and as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So let's look at verse 2. And I'm going to ask someone if they're willing to stand and to pray for this passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. So we want to highlight this. That a shepherd is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, as in shepherd care for. So the prayer is, Lord, I pray that you would help Rusty and these five pastors to shepherd, care for, love the flock that is among them. And also, it says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, you can kind of wrap that up however you want. But this is where, this is where the church this is where the production kind of ends, and now we're just a gathering saints. The church come together. I'm going to ask, is there anybody that is willing to stand and pray for that? And you can put it into your own words. Steve, thank you for volunteering. Can you? Yeah, thank you. I knew it was safe. Verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 5, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So what you're going to pray is, Lord, I pray that you would help these pastors, these six pastors, not be domineering, but being examples to the flock. And now what we're going to do is instead of one person going to pray, I'm just going to take 15, 20 seconds. And I just want all of us to pray. Because here's the thing, I covet your prayers. I want your prayers. And there's so many temptations as a pastor just to 
to try to be, have a Moses moment. Do you know what I mean by a Moses moment? Here's the thing. God used Moses to lead the children of Israel. He was doing so many amazing things. And then the children of Israel continued to want some water. And then Moses went to the Lord and 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 Lord said, hey, Moses, listen, just go out there and speak to the rock and then I will bring water through the rock. And here's what happened is that Moses came out and said, you rebellious people. And he hit the rock twice, misrepresented God. And guess what? God gave water and God said, Moses, you're done. There's a Moses moment. Because what happens is the temptation is to lash out in your flesh and be domineering. And God says, that, that, that's a misrepresentation. And so the hope is and the prayer is, Lord, I pray that they would not be domineering, but they would be examples. So let's pray for that. one Titus chapter one just find a bunch of T's together and it's going to be close all right Titus chapter one verse five through nine now here's the qualifications for a pastor so if these are the qualifications for a pastor well then hopefully every pastor met these qualifications when he became a pastor but let's hope that these pastors, myself included, continue to meet these qualifications. Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, someone could be like, wait, what does that mean? Um, I think the best explanation of what that passage means is polygamy. Um, I could go into lots of reasons why, but um, can't have more than one wife. It's not something that happens normally uh, in this day and age uh, in America. But um, I think that's what that passage means. So the husband of one wife and his children are believers. Now, another explanation of it doesn't mean some people think that that is actually your kids have to be believers. Um, others think that that word means faithful. So if I said, and his children are faithful, or his children are believers, I think faithful is probably a better explanation because when I have a newborn child, I don't know if they're a believer or not. That wouldn't mean that I was disqualified from being a pastor. So their children are faithful and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that they, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, let's focus on verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So here's what I want to focus here is that the pastor's marriages would be, would be right, they would be healthy, and that the relationship between he and his kids would be healthy. So just kind of bringing it all down to that. You're just saying, Lord, I pray for the pastor's wives, 
their relationships with their wives and their relationships with their kids. Is there anyone able and willing to stand and pray for that? Um, basically, for those that n- not sure, um, when the Lord calls a man to be a pastor, the church recognizes that, and then there is an ordination service. And I remember sitting right here, or at a different church back where we're from, and a pastor came up behind me, and then he prayed for me. And then there was multiple pastors a part of the ordination. Another pastor would then come up, and then he would pray for me. And then another pastor would come up, and he would pray for me. And I always remember one pastor came up, and he prayed for me, and he said, Lord, I pray that you would protect Rusty's family because that is his collateral for ministry, and if he loses his collateral, then he loses his ministry. And so, church, you do need to hold pastors to this high standard. Is that if my family started to fall apart, I would you would need to come to me and say, you know what, Rusty, we love you, but something is going on because your family is falling apart. And one of the qualifications to lead is that your family has to be in a really healthy spot. They have to be faithful. You should love me enough to do that. Because here's the problem is that so many pastors are leaving their families as in they still go home every night, but their family doesn't know them because they're so focused and so driven on whatever else they're wanting to do that they leave their families. Their families end up um, falling apart and then their kids walk away from the church. It's tragic. It's tragic. So here's how you do that is that you continue just to pray. And if you see something, you lovingly come up to me and say, hey, Russ, you know what? Is this something's been on my mind? Is everything okay? Now, I will say this. Praise God, everything is great. But hey, I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers. All right, let's continue on. Look at verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. So, think about that. I can't be quick-tempered. I can't be arrogant. I can't be a drunkard. I can't be violent. I can't be greedy for gain. Okay? So, maybe just pray for all the six pastors and say, Lord, I pray that their character lines up with Titus 1.7. You can kind of just lump it all together. Is there anyone willing to stand and pray for that? Perfect. Beth. Look at uh, verse 8. But hospitable, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray as a group. Spend 10, 15, 20 seconds just praying for Titus chapter 1, verse 8. And now look at verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So I'd like someone to stand and pray for this. And simply what we're saying here is that these pastors would be able to teach and hold to sound doctrine. Doctrine, sound doctrine. Is there anyone able to stand and pray for that? Yes, Brother Tony. That's, this is right up your alley. Let me just say this. Tony's awesome because you talk about a bulldog for the faith. Like he loves God's word. He loves to teach truth. And so I just really appreciate him. Go ahead, Tony. 
Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to read now. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, so I'm going to read this whole thing. And then now what I want you to do is, as I'm reading verses 1 to 7, I just want you to put your finger on one word, one word, because that's the one thing that you're going to pray for. And then we're going we're gonna to close. But I'm going to read all of these. These are qualifications for a pastor, for an overseer, for a shepherd. Remember, all the same office. And if I say one word, maybe you're like, and Rusty needs prayer in that word right there. Then put your finger on that one, and then we'll pray all together. The, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. So the word that you have put your finger on, let's go to the Lord and pray. Amen, amen. Now, the beautiful thing about this as we close is that there's a lot to live up to here, but it's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace, grace and mercy. So am I going to fail? Are these pastors going to fail at times? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I could uh, you know, get upset about something or quarrel about something um, and then just repent. Lord, I'm so sorry. Pray you forgive me for that. So it's not that, that, that these people have to be absolutely perfect, but we have to understand the standard. Now, let me tell you this. The way that it works, the reason why we could do this is because Jesus saved us. Jesus saved us. Jesus saved you. Here's the gospel. If you're new, I would never want you to leave without coming to church and hearing the gospel. The gospel is this. The Bible says that we've all sinned and broken God's rules. God's perfect. He loves us. His standard is absolute perfection. He does not compare us to another person, but he compares us against himself. And he's perfect. And he says this, is that we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, his standard. But he says that he loves us so much that he was willing to come to earth, live a perfect life, and then say, I want to give myself so that your sins can be paid for. They can be paid for. It'd be like having a credit card and racking up a ton of debt and then a rich grandpa comes in and says, hey, I want to pay for that whole debt. And you're like, grandpa, I always loved you. But it's like on an ultimate level of the, you've racked up this crazy amount of money and then someone comes in and they want to pay it for you. Now there's two types of people. Some say, not a chance. I got myself into this mess. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to pay the price. And you've racked up like a trillion dollars in debt. And people are like, okay, take him to jail. 
Other people are saying, Lord, or they, if someone comes and says, hey, I want to pay your debt. They're like, man, praise God and thank you. Grace and mercy. I accept it. What do I need to do? You need to admit that you were wrong for racking up all that debt. And then you need to ask me to forgive you for it. That's the gospel of Jesus saying, listen, you have to admit that you've sinned. See, in our culture, what's happening is they're trying to say, you know what? Sin is no longer sin. My question is, then what do we save from? Then why did Jesus die? Because there's an acceptable sins and then the unacceptable sins. No, no, no. It's all sin. The Bible says this, that we've all sinned. Jesus said, I'll pay for everything you've ever done, will do forever. But you have to do this. You have to admit that you are wrong. You have to admit that you sinned. You have to believe that Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins and then he rose again on the third day, demonstrating that he has the power to forgive sin. And so hopefully everyone in here has done that. They say, you know what? I have done that. What I would say is praise God. But if you still don't feel like you have victory over sin, while he's playing this and they're singing, my hope is that you just say, Lord, help me. There's just a sin in my life that I cannot have victory over. Pray that you would help me. And guess what? He'll help you. He'll help you. So I'm going to be standing right there. And if you want to come up and you want to talk to me about something or if you want me to pray for you, I'll pray for you. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is you can go straight to the king. There's, you know, I'm not some holy man you have to go through me. I love and I want to serve you, but just know God hears your prayers and you're only one prayer away with getting right with God. No, it doesn't, doesn't matter how far you've run in one direction, you're only one prayer for, with getting right with God. And so I would tell you, if that's you, man, get, get right with him.